It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, our guest is a very interesting man. His name is Greg August. He's a bassist, composer, and educator, and he has a release that came out in August, which has now been Grammy-nominated for Best Large Jazz Ensemble Album, and it's called Dialogues on Race. We will discuss that and other topics during this conversation today. And Greg, we appreciate you being our guest on All That's Jazz. Thank you. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. First of all, congratulations on the nomination for the Grammy, which was supposed to be coming up really soon, but now it's been put off a little bit. Does that cause you any anxiety? No, it doesn't matter to me at all. I mean, let's remember why they did that. I mean, California is uh, raging with COVID. So that's the thing to keep in perspective. Yeah, it's great to put a record out. Great to get a Grammy nomination, but the world is going through some real hell right now. So that's just the way it is. And uh, I'm, I'm cool with waiting to see what happens. And the only real drag is that we're not going to be able to all be together. It's a really nice environment, kind of exciting and you know, but we, we won't have that this year. And that's that's the only maybe real drag. But the, them moving the the actual date of it to March 14th, nah, that's cool. I mean, I'm glad just to be nominated. And the, the real payoff is that people listen, have been listening to it since the nomination came in. That's what you want. You want people to hear what you've done. It's, it's yeah, it'd be great to sell some more records and all that. But it's, if people are hearing it, and I've got more people calling me and say, man, I'm listening. So that's it. And, and um yeah, that, that feels good to know that. And then, of course, because of the topic and everything we are going through as a country, as a world, in the last few days, there's some, you know, um, I feel like I'm already, I've already been in that space where I've been facing some of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Just some of the, dis, the uncomfortable things we're seeing. I've been seeing them maybe more because of the record, because I've been examining these issues on a deeper level than I would have had I not put this record out. I guess what I'm trying to say is I see everything in, in our country, all the problems are all tied to race. And I didn't know that as clearly as I did, as I do now. I didn't know that in the past. I mean, maybe that's another, again, a long-winded answer, but um, yeah, that's the thing. So the nomination is great. People are listening to it. And I feel like we're all kind of coalescing with, you know, a heightened awareness we're all processing a lot right now, and uh, so maybe my answers won't come out so clearly, but yeah. So I've been dealing with trying to figure out this race thing for my entire life, but more recently in the last six months since everything has really gone nuts. Well, you know, this really does bring the topic of your release to the foreground anyway because of the compelling nature of it. And the fact that race truly is playing a really central, large part of what's unfolding 
in today's events. And uh, th there's so much connected to that that you can't avoid it. It's the elephant in the room. That's it, man. That's exactly it. And we're now we're forced to talk about it. We're forced to have dialogues on race that maybe before we, we could avoid it. You know, it was the uncomfortable truth, you know, that was there to, to, to be faced. And, and um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn from it and we'll make use of this con confrontment, you know, this uh, confrontation, excuse me. Does it make sense? Yes. No, it, it clearly does. And I, I will tell you that a lot of artists, thankfully, have brought this even more into the picture because you've taken that time away from, let's say, your normal gigs and recordings and music pursuits and artistic pursuits, and you've created the message, which is very compelling and probably more so important than putting out a great jazz piece right now or putting out uh, some traditional old standard right now, bringing this into the dialogue for us uh, as Americans uh, is, is really important. Uh, and uh, do you feel like that uh, this is a, a cloak or a mantra for you to wear that is difficult for you as a musician to bring a topic like this to the forefront? I may have in the past, I mean, I'm a white guy, so there's there are issues of cultural appropriations that I was thinking about because it's not so much that I'm talking about race in general on the record. It's because I incorporated the central part of the record is my incorporating Emmett Till, what happened to him. And I use his mother's um, activism and messaging as a focal point <laughs> in recent years. There's been some other artists, white artists, that have used the same topic of Emmett Till, specifically speaking about Dana Schutz, the artist that made the, the painting called, I think it's called The Casket, that was up at the Whitney a few years ago, and that didn't go well. And um, so, but you know what? In, in recent months, because of where we are at the moment, meaning we're in a really heightened place, sensitivities are extremely raw right now and it wasn't necessarily you know in terms of the record getting publicized people wanting to talk about me writing a record about race that wasn't really something that a lot of um wasn't it wasn't there was some resistance and that's all good i understand that and i used those moments as learning experiences to delve in more deeply so, you know, I would hear back from some of the, you know, magazines that we all read and they're, you know, get, getting their responses to dialogues on race and like, okay, it's cool, but, you know, we're not going to really feature it too much. And, you know, some, some newspapers in New York specifically, and um, we don't like white musicians copying black pain, quote unquote. Okay. And that's cool. Like I said, I get it. And I understand that it's not a big deal to me personally, that my thing isn't promoted and, you know, I'm not trying to gain anything other than knowledge. So what I would do with those moments is I would, you know, talk to as many people as I could. You know, uh, I would talk to all the cats of the band because they're my friends. And then um, Keith Beauchamp, the director of the movie, The Untold Story of Emmett Till, he gave me excerpts of Mamie Till Mobley speaking that I use on the record. He's become a very close friend and like a, a guiding force. 
you know, just to talk about race. And, you know, it's, um, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant evolution, constantly learning more about how we can understand all of this, the, you know, and um, so, yeah, there were some, some uh, I wouldn't say it was an albatross or a cloak, you know, it was just more like confusion, like, okay, what's my role? Is there a place for me? I was getting some, some posts I was seeing in June after George Floyd killed, were like, George Floyd was killed. There was, I think, one that was sent to me. It said, it said, white artists, we don't need your art right now. We don't need your art, white artists. So I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, it's like a, it's a complicated issue. And I get that, man. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it or anything. I'm just, but having said all that I just said, I feel, no, it's, it's time to talk. Even if, if, it's, if it's meaning I'm going to say something that's ignorant, I want to be corrected and I want to be, I want to learn. So no, man, I feel, I feel in a, I'm in a good place, at least in terms of presenting myself in this form, for example, publicly talking about race in America. Well, and this isn't something that was inspired by recent, uh, more current events uh, where after you, saw some of the things unfolded in the last uh, few months uh, or last year or so that you all of a sudden decided to rush into a studio, gather up uh, your ensemble of musicians and produce some sort of uh, racial message music. But right. instead, this is based on a, a long time story as one of the central figures of racial discrimination, uh, the story of Emmett Till, who was lynched in 1955. This isn't like something that happened six months ago. 1955 uh, was uh, brutally uh, beaten and lynched uh, and became a symbol. And this is, uh, I believe, where the, the inspiration came from, or at least is central to your thought process in creating this. That was one of the main inspirations, yeah. I mean, back in 2009, when the Jazz Gallery asked me to write a large-scale work, I, I decided to write about, you know, the frustrations that I was encountering of speaking about race with friends, musician colleagues, and, you know, family members that are, you know, musician colleagues, I call them family members. That was the thing. I was like, okay, let me, let me investigate this topic. Maybe I can find some poems that talk about it and I could set it to music. And then I saw, you know, the untold story of Emmett Till by Keith Beauchamp, the director that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, I mean, I had known about Emmett Till, of course, but I didn't really know as much as I learned in that film. And the scene in there that really um, inspired me on m multiple levels was when Mamie Till Mobley described seeing him for the first time in the funeral home. And she's going through detail by detail, gory detail by gory detail, and it's excruciating, and she's in control, complete control of her emotions, which makes it more excruciating. And she's, you know, there was something in that, in that scene um, that she, first of all, she told that <laughs> the rest of her life, she relived that horrible moment as often as she could, so people could hear it. You know, and that that there was something there that really spoke to me, and um, I thought in a creative way, I was like, maybe I can incorporate that into, into dialogues and race somehow. So when we played that piece the first time in 2009, I simply would take 
the audio from the from the film. I think I recorded it on a DAT recorder or something, and I would just play that by itself. You know, it's like a three minute excerpt. There was already soundtrack on there, and I just let it play. And then after that finished, we would play Your Only Child, and but it was like an intro, and then connected to the piece itself that we played. But then what what we did during the recording session is I uh, we record we I played it for the uh, bass clarinet player, Ken Thompson, and Marcus Rojas, the duple player. I wanted to keep it all low instruments. And um, I played them th that very same clip, you know, so with the soundtrack again, and then her telling the story, I said, okay, let's just improvise to that. So we did three separate improvisations and I chose the one that I thought worked best. And then a few months later, which is actually just over a year ago now, so everything was done. The record was recorded, it was mixed, it wasn't mastered yet, but it was still this thing about this Mamie Till Mobley scene from the movie. I wanted to follow up on that. So I contacted Keith Beauchamp through Facebook. He didn't know me, but I, you know, you can find people's message, Facebook Messenger, if, if it's not a private account. And he responded like immediately. Hmm. And we struck up this, this um, friendship. Those were his personal interviews with her. He knew her. And he was a young guy at the time, and um, his work continues. His trying to show, I mean, the way he puts it, if I'm going to paraphrase, he says, what happened to Emmett Till, Mamie used to say, that's the blueprint to man's freedom, to man's liberation. Because, I mean, there was never anybody arrested for that. I mean, they were arrested, but they were, they were acquitted. Mm -hmm. And Keith, in his investigation, making his documentary, uncovered all these other Thing, all these other people that may have been there, these witnesses that hadn't spoken up in 1955. That's why they exhumed this body. Because at the time, 1955, the defense said, well, we don't even know what Sam Till. We can't recognize him. Okay, so then we're in 2004 or five, I'm not, exactly, I'm not exactly sure, but around then, the FBI reopens the case. And then they exhume his body so they could do that DNA testing and uh you know the case didn't 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 go anywhere i believe and then uh but that's why the casket is now in the smithsonian because they exhumed him and they decided to, to to put him back in a different casket and use the casket as a uh, the one that he was originally in as some type of uh museum or something a tribute to him and to mimi in some way and it ended up in the smithsonian but this guy came for something just let me right in you know and so yeah yeah, that's that's the inspiration. Like the the need to talk about it, get over the the discomfort. You have to you have to want to talk about it though. You have to face the history. A lot of us don't know the history, and then when they learn it, you know, when they're maybe like just catching a few things about you know civil rights movement and or some of the lynching that happened, like Emmett Till, maybe they'll their empathy will kick in, you know, and that's that's the beginning of it empathy. Well, and you bring that up in, in a uh, statement that you put on your website as the composer of this work. And you talk about those kinds of things to where maybe people didn't know who Emmett Till was. And then also... I a specific case. Not to cut you off, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, a, f a family member, I'll just say it the way it is, who leans right politically good guy but like sometimes i'm confused by his his motivations and uh, political choices he came to me uh, a few months ago and he said hey man listen i didn't 
you know, he bought the record. He bought the CD because um, he's a family member. He's not not really a jazz fan or anything like that. But he bought the record just to support me. And then he said, I didn't know who Emmett Till was. And then I listened to your record. And now I hear his name every day. So that was that was in October. And I was like, that's it, man. That's that's the that's success. You've, you know, at least shown one person something that they didn't know. I can't say how he interpreted it or how it's, how it's played out in his mind or heart. But the fact that he even learned about it, that's like, that's, you know, he's aware. He's more than he was <laughs> a little while ago. I don't know. I think that's a wonderful tribute to you that you've brought this to the surface and, and people now know and understand what it's all about. You also bring up a point that we were discussing before we started recording today, and that was the fact that sometimes it's difficult to talk about a subject like race with a mixed company group together because you're afraid of maybe saying the wrong thing or the right thing. But ultimately, regardless of what's said, the point is on the far end of the conversation, there's education. And I think it's, we're all indoctrinated with this behavior. It's, it's, it's by design. We've been sort of led to believe that we're supposed to say, stay in separate lanes, you know, segregated in a way, you know, okay. Even though segregation is technically over, there's still cultural segregation all over the place in America, you know? So that's why I think we're all uncomfortable because we don't have any examples in front of us. I mean, unless you're, fortunate enough to, to be, you know, in a mixed race family or something like that, then you're, you're forced to deal with it already. But a lot of us that are not, uh, I, I, I feel it's um, only <laughs> through, through force, meaning you have to really want to talk about it. And, and then get, once you start, I mean, my, in those earlier conversations with my friends, you know, they were awkward, but, and then ultimately you realize that, okay, you know, uh, I understand where, where they're coming from and maybe they understand where I'm coming from. And we already knew a lot of this mutually. A lot of these things were already, we already agreed on them. We just didn't have that discussion, you know? So that allows you to go forward from that point when you realize, okay, this is constructive because we're already thinking, even if you don't think the same way, even if you have opposing views, that's great. It's good to, to express them and you can learn from them. I'm not saying you have to only talk to people that agree with you. That's kind of the opposite, really. You want to talk to people that maybe don't agree with you. And then you can really have some, some things brought to your attention and maybe you can bring some things to their attention. That's a real exchange, not just everybody like holding hands in the end. That's not the point, really. When you started putting this together and you put together your ensemble and started working on this, a lot of this was based on the poems of Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, Marilyn Nelson, etc. Did you use that poetry as a development for the music itself? Absolutely. I mean, Marilyn Nelson poem that we used three times, uh, Your Only Child, that was me actually composing voice for the first time, as you know, composing, not arranging, but composing. And I mean, I literally sat down at the piano and I just kind of like plucked it out. And, and um, that kind of came out all by itself, I would say even, you know, it was just sort of, I wasn't, I wasn't even really involved with that the way that melody came out. Her power, those words are so powerful. And it maybe should be said to the listeners that what she discusses in that poem is a true, she, tri um, she pays tribute to his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, in comparison to Christ's mother. 
for the sacrifice that they each made for their only child. And that's what the poem's called, Your Only Child. Your only child, a body thrown to hold. Truly you must have thought of suicide. Seeing his great flesh chains round his throat. Surely you did know, know you would devote the rest of your chains life to dignify public remembrance of how Emmett died. That comes from a book that she wrote um, called uh, Aretha Emmett Till. So there's a collection of poems about the tragedy and it's a beautiful book. I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement to create something so beautiful from something so horrible. But the drawings are beautiful and the poems are, are beautiful. So that poem, yes, that one was uh, deliberate. And um, like I said, it just sort of came out on its own. And then with the Langston Hughes poem, Sweet Words on Race, that one I was thinking, because of the irony in the text, it's, it's saying how, yeah, we, we always hear these great things about, you know, how we, things are going to change or, or whatever. And then when it, comes time to, come, when it comes time for them to really change, they don't change. They're just, they're just words. And so the, the bitterness or the irony maybe, I wanted to feature the drums on that one. That was what I, I had originally written drums. So that's why I brought in the congas and, you know, a lot of it is featured in the, in the drum set, Donald Edwards. And so that's what I was doing. I was sort of trying to pair up poems with certain moods with certain poems, you know, poems with certain moods with certain uh, features, excuse me, featuring certain instruments. And um, that was like my sort of launching point, you know, just you need, you need to have a place to start. <laughs> You know, and then there's there's some compositional things that that I did where I take the theme of um, of, of your only child and I use it in the other pieces, just maybe ever so slightly, but it's in there and it keeps it cohesive as a composition. I can keep going back to it, and I've even since made an arrangement of your only child for a string trio because I had this situation in the summer they wanted a classical version of it. So, but the themes are there, and I like I can just keep pulling from them because it's not so much the musical themes are there but it's the, what they're referring to so it's it's still a work in progress that's why it's called volume one well there'll, there'll be volume two for sure so when you're developing this 
How or why is it that there are three tracks that are titled Your Only Child? Well, you bring up a very good point. So I did the, <laughs> the number three runs throughout the piece, okay? And so and that comes from a variety of things. And ultimately, it's because Emmett Till's killing was considered um, the Trinity killings, they called them, in 1955, following the Board of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education decision. There were three killings, I believe, that took place in Mississippi. And I can't recall the names of the first two, but Emmett Till was the third. So he was considered the Trinity killing, the sacrificial lamb. And the other thing that made me latch on to number three was again the Trinity when when Marilyn Nelson says um, in her tribute to Mamie Till Mobley, would you say yes? Yes, like the mother of Christ. You know, and I'm not like a religious person. I grew up Catholic and, you know, that's great and all, but I'm not like connected to organized religion. But that line spoke to me so heavily and still does. It actually can bring me to tears when I when I hear hear it said. So again, the Trinity. And so I started using threes throughout the piece with chords, phrases. And then in this case, when we were asking about your only child, three renditions of it. And they come three, six, nine. Right. The third track, the sixth track, and the ninth track. And I'll be honest, that, was, that wasn't by design. I realized that only a few weeks ago. So. Some of the best things happen by coincidence or missing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that three thing was throughout. And um, anyway. <laughs> I'm interested to hear your story behind Mother Mamie's reflections because you actually incorporate her spoken word. Yes. So... Now that that footage is what I was referring to earlier. That came from Keith Beauchamp granting me access to his film, The Untold Story of Emmett Till. Those were his personal interviews with her. And that's what I had seen way back when in the film. And so we 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 did the improvisation to her text, and then I manipulated it, putting her both the left and right side and having her talk kind of over herself. In a sense, she's having a dialogue with herself. And a lot of reverb, and so she's she's kind of speaking from above. Emmett was born the 25th of July, 1941. He was the happiest baby in the world. Happiest baby, happiest baby, happiest baby. He was the happiest baby. What about your ring? Daddy's ring. And then um, what we did after that, after the, after the record was done, this is, so this is during the summer now, I was getting a lot of responses from, from people that had heard the record, you know, saying, wow, that track is really strong. And I, I decided to make a video of it because I wanted what she was saying, that message to be even more in the, the viewer or listener's face. And so a friend of mine and I, we came up with that 
the way the graphic or the, the text moves across the screen, it's very stoic, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just, you see what she says. And the reactions I was getting, the reactions I was getting from a lot of white people, when I would show it to them, I hadn't published it yet. I was just, you know, you bounce things off people, then you finish them. And a lot of my white friends were like, man, I, I can't get past that part or this part. It makes me so uncomfortable. And then the question of, okay, maybe I'm going too far. I'm, I'm not a person of color, so maybe I don't have the right to use that in this way. I shouldn't put that out there because it's gonna, it's gonna have the reverse effect. It's gonna offend people. I don't want to offend. I want to inform. So again, I would go back to my whole crew of friends and talk about it with them. And the cat that like set me straight was Keith. Keith Beauchamp, the director that gave me that footage. I told him about some of the reactions I was having from from a lot of my white friends. And he's like, "Listen," he said something along these lines. Not everybody has the privilege to not know this. You need to publish it. And I recommend you publish it on August 28th because that's 65 years to the day that he was murdered. So that's what I did. Good for you in, in, in thinking in, in those terms and also paying the tribute by putting it out on that date as well. In looking at the different track listings and the names, they, they seem to, I guess, make a point of, about uh, the nature and, and the importance of this whole release, but one that is kind of an odd, uh, unless you know the background, an odd title for a track is called Sherbert. Oh, yeah. That's based on a poem by Cornelius Eady, and the poem is called Sherbert, and I attached a line that's in the poem to it, and it's just to be sure that the doubt stays on our side of the fence. Now, what that's coming, where that's coming from is... The poem is about an African-American man with his Caucasian wife in a restaurant in the South and how they're waiting to be waited on and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's a lot of discomfort. And um, by the end, I think the manager of the restaurant comes over and in his sort of attempt to, I don't know, apologize or whatever, he brings him a bowl of sherbet, you know, and rather than saying anything directly, he just does that. That's that's the that's the reason that that poem's in there because the, the the context the text of what he says is, is is really profound. It was a great discovery, man. Cornelius and then Marilyn. I mean, of course, we all know Maya Angelou and Langston Hughes, but there are a couple of the other poets in there. Carolyn Kaiser. I didn't know who those people were, but I found these incredible incredible poems. And the thing is, I found poems from people that weren't just African American. You know, Carolyn Kaiser is a Caucasian woman. Francisco Alcaron, he's Chicano, I believe. Um, he's no longer alive. But so the thing is, 
trying to get people that don't all look the same, getting different perspectives, how race conversations can, can be interpreted. And, and, you know, I didn't get everybody in there because at the time it wasn't really, it wasn't as clear to me what I was writing. I'll be quite honest. I just, I was finding inspiring poems and, and, and themes like again with Emmett Till, but it wasn't as clear to me that, okay, this is a conversation where everybody's going to be taking place. So that's why, again, I have to have volume two because I have to incorporate more people, more points of view. When you developed your large jazz ensemble, which, correct me if I'm wrong on this, there were 12 musicians, three vocalists, a narrator, and maybe some strings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's 22 of us. And the, the initial premiere, uh, the initial rendition of the piece back in 2009 uh, for the premiere at the Jazz Gallery didn't have the strings, didn't have the narrator, and one singer, and Miles Griffith. But in the last you know, year leading up to the recording, I had this this other, other version come to mind with the strings, like I said, at the museum. So I had to get some strings. <laughs> I got like seven of them in there, four violins, three violas, and a cellist and myself. So that makes a string section of eight. But then since I couldn't get the original singer, I had to find a few singers that could sing what Miles was singing back in the original premiere. And then the other thing that happened was Letter to America, track two. That I decided to add a narrator to sort of after the facts. That didn't happen in 2009. That happened, that happened on January 5th, 2019, just the week before we were going to do the, um, we were going to do the video recordings. We had a family function up in Rhode Island and my cousin, Wayne Smith, African-American man, I was telling him about my project. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And Wayne is a very interesting guy. He's a Vietnam medic veteran who's been involved with uh, lots of lobbying efforts over the years, mainly for vets. Uh, he was even featured in Ken Burns' um, Vietnam documentary. Mm. But, you know, so I was telling him with excitement, I was, hey, I'm going to make this video and we have uh, these different themes. And I mentioned Mamie Till. He said, oh, I knew Mamie Till. I, I worked with her trying to abolish the death penalty. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I said, I have to figure out a way to, to incorporate Wayne, Wayne's involvement somehow. So Letter to America was there as just a sort of like a in-your-face kind of, you know, thing. And then I found a way to add a little vamp and bring the poem in. And that's what he narrates. Letter to America. Pardon a lag in our writing. We were left with few letters. In your home, we were cast as rugs. Sometimes on walls, though we were almost always on floors. We served you as a table, as a lamp, as a mirror, as a toy. If anything, we made you laugh. In your kitchen, we were another pan. Even now, as a shadow, you use us. You fear us. You yell at us. You hate us. So that's, we became 22 people all of a sudden, adding the strings, adding the extra singer, and adding Wayne. 
Where do you go from this point? Now that it's out there, you're in a position for a uh, Grammy Award for Best Large Jazz Ensemble Album. You had revealed earlier in our conversation that this was just volume one. Yes, yes. I mean, there's a lot more to be learned. And this is how, this is the best way for me to learn. Everything I do is ultimately <laughs> through music, processed through music, you know, no matter what reading I do or whatever, if I can channel it through re- music, my music, I, I would say even, then I have a, a closer attachment to it and a, and a deeper a deeper understanding of it. And it's, the, the, the issue isn't going away. God, if anything, you know, it's worse than ever. And it's, it's feeding me creatively, you know, it's, it's just the way it's, I don't know. I don't really know how to say it other than there's just a lot more to be learned. And I, I need to explore a whole other, so many more areas of these things. And, it, and I can do it as a creative artist, then so be it. That's my role. I'm a, I'm a musician, you know. I'm not saying I'm a great musician, but I'm a musician. That Everything for me really about music. So that's my way of understanding things better. I'm not saying I'm going to enlighten anybody. You know, I'm not trying to judge white people or I'm not trying to co-op black pain like I was, you know, said to be trying to do. I'm trying to understand it for myself. Well, I think it's a very noble position to take on this because it's not only a personal learning experience for you, but a catharsis maybe as well. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, it's like I think I say it in a statement about Americans and not knowing our history, you know, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. So many of the things I've learned through this, just this record and the videos that I've made in the last few months, I was like, man, that really happened? I, I think, Greg, what you've done is create a, a magnificent piece of work for all to experience, to enjoy, and learn from this particular dialogues on race. And I wish you and all of your ensemble, the best of good fortune for the nomination to deliver a Grammy into your hands for your you. admirable work. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you allowing me to speak about, about all this stuff. I know I tend to get a little long-winded, but it's, um, it's always cathartic to speak about it with people that are willing to listen. And I am. I, I, I thank you for being a guest of ours on All That's Jazz. Thank you. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. And I appreciate the invite again. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Grammy-nominated bassist and composer Greg August. For more information about this artist, visit his website, gregaugust.com. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. All That's Jazz will be taking a one-week break on January 20th, and we invite you to join our next episode on Wednesday, January 27th. If you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net. <laughs>